0: Zoo is about the animal's ability to self-select the medicine. So my mare was selecting what she needed. One episode of colic, she would have lots of fennel and little peppermint and a tiny bit of spearmint, and maybe lots of valerian. And the next episode of colic, she'd have a different range. She would select the same oils that were for colic, but different levels of intensity. So you could really see that with each episode of colic, she was selecting according to the actual physiological needs of her body.
1: Welcome to the Equine Body Talks podcast. We'll be diving into the equine industry from the lens of a body worker, talking to other equine professionals, and discussing scenarios around soft tissue work for all equine athletes. I'm Kim Krebs, your host. I've been working for over two decades in this industry as a loper, barn manager, and body worker. With the many horses I've worked with in all of these capacities, It has driven me to want to continually find out the why and the hows of equine biomechanics, health and performance. My mentor and one of our industry's leaders, Tina Watkins of In Hand Equine Therapy will also be sharing hosting duties with me. Tina has been an equestrian her entire life and has dedicated the last 25 years to bringing bodywork forward as a professional career through her business, As well as education and teaching of future and current body workers. This podcast is dedicated to opening the conversation around equine wellness, diving deeper into the whole body approach for equine performance horses. We often are talking about the team approach on this podcast and in our practices. It's something we believe in wholeheartedly as an essential aspect to your horse's wellness. There is no one individual that is going to be able to take care of all of the needs your horse has. A veterinarian is not going to do your farrier work, yet they will notice aspects of the horse's hoof that may be representing issues in other areas of the body and collaborate with your farrier to look at angles and shoeing. A bodyworker is not going to address a lameness without the consultation of the veterinarian to determine a diagnosis for the horse and how the soft tissue is trying to overcompensate. And it's no different within the bodywork field itself. There are so many different modalities we're learning of that the number of professionals that may be involved in one horse's case can be upwards of five, six, or even more. Today, we are going to chat with another professional from across the Atlantic about a modality that has been studied more recently, but which has been around the animal world since time began. We'll be chatting with Carly Helier of Whitethorn Equine Health of Sligo, Ireland, about applied zoo pharmacognosy, a mouthful of a term to be sure, but one that is at its core, very basic. It's essentially talking about the animal's ability to self-select medicinal properties to heal. This idea goes back millennium, long before pharmacies, when even we, as humans, worked with the natural world to find substances that would both soothe and heal the body. With domestication, most of the animals we now care for have lost that ability to freely forage, nor are the landscapes the same to find required substances. As you will hear, even though it has been around for ages, it hasn't really been studied and given a name until more recently. Carly has been studying this modality for decades since obtaining her diploma in applied zoopharmacognosy at the Ingram Academy after first achieving her diploma in Equine Science Studies at the University of Limerick. So let's have a listen. Carly, we can't wait to dive into this topic. It's one that I was very unaccustomed to or hadn't heard a lot about prior to doing a little research. We had a fellow Body worker here in Alberta who brought you to our attention she herself is from Ireland so we were excited to uh, take a look and see what what this is all about so thank you very much for coming on to the podcast
0: and thank you Kim for inviting me I'm very excited about talking about a, a very fascinating subject
1: which I hope your
0: listeners will enjoy too
1: can you start off by just telling us a little bit about your background what got you involved obviously into horses but then specifically what got you into wanting to help horses in the field of zoo pharmacognosy
0: Well I guess like many horsey people around the world it was just it, it was just an automatic draw you know it's just the smell of horses just being around horses is was really just something so um, such a, a, a uh, an innate part of my being that really it was a no-brainer that I was going to get involved in horses but just to take the time right back to when I was growing up I grew up in leafy suburbia in the south of England and we had a donkey called Peppy and I loved this donkey and we also had a goat as well I mean our garden we were a bit sort of a bit like the hillbillies you know in, in this lovely kind of well-to-do area stockbroker area and um, we had all these different kind of animals And yeah, we had Pepe the donkey. And that really started me off. And I remember cleaning shoes, the family's shoes. There was quite a big family, five kids. And I remember cleaning shoes to pay for riding lessons. And that was in in Surrey in England. And then I moved to Ireland, you know, fast forward a bit. I lived in Hong Kong for a while in Asia, uh, where I used to ride the the, the royal stables there, the Borneo polo ponies. And then ended up in Ireland uh, which is of course the land of the horse and I've been here 30 years and the first uh, pony that I owned myself was a piebald what you might call a tinker pony on the continent as a piebald and that's really my where I really was solidly involved with horses and then I wanted to learn more about horses and how, you know, you know, when you get a horse and you ask people, your neighbours, farmers, what do you do, how do you look after it? I didn't have a clue, you know, how to care for it. Um, and so I, I felt I really needed some expert knowledge here. So then I started, um, I did equine science at Limerick University and studied uh, uh, to really find out how to actually look after horses. And I guess what brought me, you ask about, you know, how, what what triggered my interest and desire to try and help them um, stay healthy. That was because of a mare, an Irish draft mare that I I still have to this day. She's quite elderly now. And she was constantly getting colic. And I was forever ringing the vet. and, And, you know, I tried all the typical management changes, the rotational grazing, the worming, worm counts you know, everything to try to get to the bottom of this colic, but nothing would. And it wasn't until I saw Zoo Pharmacognosy written in a magazine, and I just couldn't turn my eyes off of it, so I went to train in it and, and use this method to help Cora and her colic. So that's what triggered really my interest in zoo pharmacognosy was from a place of need. You know, this mare was constantly colicking. Whatever I did wasn't working to the point that the vet was leaving me injections, you know, needles and a thing of buscopan saying, get on with it, Carly. You know, don't call me any, well, not don't call me anymore, but, you know, deal with it. And this zoo Pharmacognosy really turned you know the colic around. It was brilliant. She only had another say two or three episodes after that, and that's what triggered you know it was out of necessity really to find something that actually worked for my mare's colic. And the fascinating thing about it was that for each episode of colic, you know, post after finding out about zoo Pharmacognosy and doing the training her selections would vary. Zoo is about the animal's ability to self-select the medicine. Maybe I need to explain that first. S- so my mare was selecting what she needed and um, one episode of colic she would have lots of fennel and little peppermint and a tiny bit of spearmint and maybe lots of valerian and the next episode of colic she'd have a different range or she would use, she would select the same oils that were for colic, but different levels of intensity. So you could really see that with each episode of colic, she was selecting according to the actual physiological needs of her body. So that's what really got me hooked. Because if she had selected the same every time I say, oh, she's just because she likes them, but it wasn't at all. She was selecting differently according to what the actual physiological symptoms were for that particular bout of colic. So it really got me hooked on, on zoo pharmacognosy. So those particular oils that I've mentioned there are antispasmodics, antispasmodics, anti-inflammatories and analgesics. So you would offer according to the presenting
1: symptoms.
2: And Carly, for those that aren't quite understanding what you're meaning about selections, why don't you just go mm-hmm. through that just a little bit more and maybe talk sure. about how that works for the horse?
0: Uh, say a horse has presenting symptoms, you know, you have an issue, it might be, uh, might be have pain, stiff joints, a tendon injury, uh, colic, digestive issues, diarrhea, scour, sweet itch. There's a myriad, as you know, of different issues that horse owners come up with. And so we have, as a zoo I would have a range of maybe. 100, 120 different extracts in my kit, so they're all different herbs and those herbs are known to have certain effects, even pre-Zoo pharmacognosy days, you know, herbs have always been there for us to use, and uh, you know, either with animals and with people, Uh, and so we would offer to the horse what, from from a historical data, we know that animals of those previous, uh, having had those previous symptoms would select, so for example, if a horse is in pain, we'll offer a range of analgesics. That might be devil's claw, comfrey, peppermint, yarrow, German chamomile, many different range. Yeah, probably Anderson John's or So maybe nine or 10 different analgesics I'd have in my kit. And anti-inflammatories, same again. You'd have a, you know, a variety of different um, anti-inflammatories. If it was diarrhea, you'd have... you know. Uh, extracts that would help line the gut if there was a gut infection and resulting in diarrhea or inflammation in the gut resulting diarrhea. So we would offer um, and they would select and they really, it it, it seems a bit mad and it seems a bit uh, unbelievable. And I was incredibly skeptical when I went on the first week of training, because I guess I thought, well, they just like them, you know, but when you've done quite a few or, or they like the smell, but when you've actually worked with many different horses you see that they completely differentiate and as my mare had differentiated according to her actual needs for the different colleagues you know you do actually get on board with it and we've trained vets we've trained performance riders olympic coaches you know it's really not quite as as niche now as possibly it was in the past so yeah we would offer they would select and then we would continue to offer until they've had enough and then 24 hours later or depending upon the situation if it's a chronic condition you could offer 24 hours later if it's an acute situation for example like colic um you would offer a lot more regularly than that every four to five hours you know and then when the animal actually has had enough they will stop selecting and i guess it's our job or i know it's our job as zoo pharmacologists to uh, to observe their behavior. And it, it's people think it's a really easy thing. You just put the, the, the bottles under the nose. But it is a very, very simple concept, but there's a huge amount to it. There's layers and layers and layers of it, you know, and for maybe a simple injury. It's, it's quite a simple process. But when you look at chronic and acute situations or behavioral issues, you know, there's all sorts of dynamics that come into play, which really make it means you're always learning you're always learning. I mean, no horse is the same. No session is the same. You know, no condition is the same. It's absolutely fascinating.
2: Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And even as body workers, you know, you can really hear your passion when you speak about something that you're so interested in. And I think we could say the same thing about good body work, right? There is so many layers, which is why we're so excited to talk to you because I think bringing that team aspect together and and working together to understand how we can get to that next level for these horses is so important. So tell us a little bit about your training. You mentioned it a couple of times as you were speaking. Where sure. did you go and kind of what's out there for people that are looking?
0: Well, I trained, as I said, I went to university and did equine science and that was a great foundation, a great groundwork because obviously zoo farm as as bodywork doesn't, exist in isolation you know it is a holistic approach at, at a risk at using a kind of a buzzword that it's so you need to know many different areas uh, have knowledge so but from zoo pharmacognosty i trained with caroline ingraham in the uk she's the founder of applied zoo pharmacognosy and i trained in 2009 qualified in 2011 for dogs and horses and she was running a practitioner course at that stage now since then I think she closed uh, training people from a practitioner point of view maybe seven eight years ago so really there isn't anywhere that I know that you can train as a zoo pharmacognosy practitioner now certainly we run workshops for people to use in their own homes and to be honest with you, when I came out of training with Caroline, I feel, I, and I guess it's very similar to vets. You know, I did a lot of the theory, I watched her work and did the exams um, and the papers and the case studies. But if I could put a percentage on it, if I could be so bold as to put a percentage on it, I would have probably thought that she gave me 5% of the knowledge and then like learning out in the field is at least 95% of the, of the, the knowledge.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that's fantastic. So I think that's what makes a true master is that really continuing to study and and digging deeper into things to really understand then how does it vary from case to case and not get into that bit of a recipe book that we've seen kind of, you know, when you're looking at body work or or even veterinary work or farrier work you know you can see those people that are really out there they're looking for that expansion of what could be different where could we bring this horse to rather than just being able to break it down so I think that's just such a great point which is why Kim was so excited to get you on the podcast because you know of your depth of knowledge so tell us a little bit about those workshops you do it sounds like those are kind of interesting
0: Yeah well due to Covid of course we've had to go online and you know first of all I was a bit oh my god I mean I'm about as technical I mean you know you'd have to shove coal into the back of my mobile phone it's that old you know I just I'm not a techie person (laughs) but luckily enough I found a really techie woman along the road who's been great in supporting me Izzy and and we moved them online and it's brilliant it's actually brilliant. And we do live demonstrations. So I have horses out in the yard. We have, we're have we here in White Thorn Farm in, in the north of Ireland in Sligo. And we have it all set up the cameras in the yard and, and, and in the demo area. And I have a GoPro on my head. And uh, so we it's a mix, the workshops are a mix between live demonstrations. And also the participants have samples sent out to them. So they do their own offering. Uh, And also we do a bit of human offering as well, human self-selection as well, which makes it really interactive to show people how their own taste buds change. Because essentially what happens is the sensory apparatus changes according to their needs. So just a little bit more technical information on how it actually works is that when a horse as I say, we send out to people licorice, these these samples of licorice, and and they can see how their taste buds change as a horse's would as well when they're self-selecting. And that's what tells the horse that it's had enough. Uh, because it it just feels the taste buds receptors actually change when the body actually has had enough, and we show people how that works with them by sending them out licorice root in a sample pack. Also, they can uh, we send them a selection of herbs that they can try with their horses, and we come back together on the second day and compare notes with what horse selected what and and who selected. and and possible reasons for those selections. So it's quite interactive, uh, because everyone brings a case study, you know, so it's spanned over two weeks. So during that week, between the two workshops, the weekends that it's run, people work on the case studies, and we give them support through a Facebook group. It's such a new science. And there's so much areas that people have to take that mental shift to get on board. I mean, they need a lot of education. They need a lot of support because it's so new. You can't Google this sort of stuff, you know. There's no sort of instant, you know, encyclopedia about it. So it's a very new science. I think the, if I recall correctly, it's only 30 years ago that the term zoo pharmacognosy was actually coined by a, a professor, Elroy Rodriguez, from Cornell University in New York. He actually coined that phrase. And zoo meaning animal, pharma being drug, cognosy mean knowing. So essentially put together means animal knows its own drug. As And there's many examples. There's a whole book on examples of animals self-medicating in the wild. So this Elroy Rodriguez coined the phrase, But the first really most famous research that had sort of put it on the on the stage, if you like, was by Professor Michael Huffman from Kyoto University. And what he did, he um, tracked or followed chimpanzee uh, in Tanzania and uh, noticed that one particular female, elderly female within the group uh, was unwell and had diarrhea and was not sticking to the group so much and you could see he could see she was sleeping in the day lethargic then he noticed her eating on a plant that was out of the normal range of her forage and uh, she was peeling off the the bitter pith and eating the insides then this chimpanzee got better and so um, they analysed the plant, they analysed her diarrhoea, they saw there was parasites, and they were able to conclude that this animal was self-medicating. And then after a while, she stopped foraging on that particular plant and went back to the uh, her group and was well again. But that was quite a while ago. Since then, a lot of papers actually have been done, research has been done on lambs self-medicating, using tannins and lambs also using saponins, goats as well. There's actually quite a wide range now of research, peer-reviewed
1: research. And I know you work closely in our conversations prior to this with veterinarians as well. So it's not that this is the be-all and end-all, but this is the adjunct, the addition that can really help a lot of those cases that may be having a harder time or they're not able to find exactly a specific thing that they, they have in their wheelhouse. And so this is such another wheelhouse to be able to draw from, which is great. You've mentioned your kit before. And so I'm just um, very curious, in your kit, obviously this is one that you've put together based on the studies that you've done and your, your knowledge of what essences and herbs and work best for a different variety of different um, ailments. What is inside, like the products or the, is it specifically herbs? Are they oils? Like you had mentioned some oils as well. What what type of things do you have within that? Essentially,
0: they're all plants, but just in different formats. Okay, now I do use Dead Sea Mineral Mud and I use clay. um, So there are a few minerals, but those aside, the majority, 99% are plants, but just in different formats, okay? So essential oils, macerates, dried herbs, powders, they're all plants, but they're just produced in different ways. That means that the horse can select more accurately and more specifically to their needs. So, for example, if a horse has a gut issue, they're more likely to ingest dried herbs. OK, let's say they've got diarrhoea. They are more likely to want to ingest marshmallow root or slippery elm. Uh, because that actually then goes into the gut and coats the gut lining. Whereas if it's emotional issues, the horse is more likely to use essential oils or select essential oils. So let's say it's fear, they might select frankincense or violet leaf. They're two different extracts that we would offer for fear. For hormonal issues, we would offer hops, clary sage, fennel. So it depends upon issue that the horse has and you can kind of gauge what is most likely to select in what format by what the actual presenting symptoms are the horse has a vulnerable nasal organ which is a secondary olfactory organ and that means it's got an exceptional sense of smell but not only an exceptional sense of smell I mean it's got about 100 million receptors we've got 5 million right and a dog has about 500 million receptors. But not only a, a heightened sense of smell, because that's how they live, that VNO, Von Ronaise organ, is connected to the olfactory bulb, which then is connected to the hypothalamus, which then controls the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. So when a horse is inhaling an essential oil, it's having a real physiological on the, effect on the body. For, for example, Rosotto, when it's inhaled, by people, the research has shown that it reduces adrenaline by 30%. And I know certainly when I'm offering Rosotto or valerian to a horse, you can really see their whole energy just relax, their whole being just completely relaxed. Valerian is a controlled substance with the FEI. They have a real effect on the body because of the link into the hypothalamus, which is responsible for homeostasis within the body. So different formats of herbs help in different ways. I guess that's the bottom line in answer to your question. Essential oils can go directly to the brain, but when they're inhaled, they can go directly into the blood circulation. Like I said, there's a huge amount to it. And when they digest, it goes into the gut. So for different symptoms.
1: Could you uh, walk us through a case study that would give people an idea of how one-year session looks like, but then what responses that you uh, receive from a horse?
0: Okay, there was a, a horse that was constantly on antibiotics and the, the poor owner was having to sort of push, it came to the point that it was trying to push the horse into the corner of the stable to get the antibiotic drops into the eyes. And it was difficult for both the pony and the owner. So it I, I was in the UK. So I went over there, took my kit, but she didn't actually have a wide range. Specifically, remember Angelica, Orange, Barley Grass and German chamomile. And it was those four oils, those four, uh, so those three oils and the barley grass. And she took those and the eye during the session, and this isn't uncommon, you get a quite strong reaction. And the eye um, just completely swelled up, both eyes, one more than the other. And I was kind of thinking, it was quite early on in my training. And I was, oh my God, you know, like what's going on here? And then it went down, as quick as it came up, it went down. And uh, there was a lot of head twitching, a lot of processing, which I now know is very in-depth processing. Uh, The the owner was very diligent. And that's a key element to the success of this approach is the diligence of the owner to re-offer. Okay, it's no good just doing one session. I mean, you can, with, with actually with colic It's probably the exception to the rule there. You know, you can get a, uh, but even so, I would advise to, to continue to re-offer. And that is not, I always say, call the vet to my students. I say, call the vet for colic. So going back to the uveitis. So the owner was very diligent in re-offering, re-offering, re-offering. And uh, within a week or 10 days, the the eye, she was outside in the field without the, the visor on. And then she, but she did keep offering her orange. She over the next sort of while. So after ten days, she had less interest in the extracts. I instructed the owner to offer, say, three days, and then you know, lengthen the time to make sure that that mare Connie had constantly access to the oils. Should you want to top up, and she did. She actually took orange for a, for a, I think for a period up to every now and again for a period up to six months. And she also took barley grass. So it was interesting to see that it was just one that she really, the orange that really kept her in that position of being able to handle the sun and not irritate the eyes. Another case study, Cushing's, and it was a mare that came to us. She was on percent was again I was struggling to get the pill into her that was the deal she came here on livery she was owned by a rescue center and then it came to a point in time where I was going I was kind of having chased around the field with the scoop I tried peanut butter I tried treacle yeah you name it it was in the scoop trying to hide the pill not at all she knew and as I say it came to the point she'd see me at the gate and she'd run with you know so I rung them and I said listen guys this isn't happening you know I can't get the pill into her what would you recommend So I spoke to their vet and they said, you're just going to have to bring her into the stable and drench her every day. And I thought, well, that's great, except for I won't even be able to get her into the stable at that point. You know, once you start physically forcing an animal to have something that they don't want... be a struggle to even catch her so i thought i'm not going down that road so well i didn't it wasn't my first choice anyway so i rang the owners and i said listen guys how do you feel about zuko would you give it a blast give it a try and they said yeah no problem we'll give that a try we see what you're up against you know so she was then bless her she was then our demo horse for the workshops for that year so she got lots of sessions Agnes castus she selected many different extracts through the different sessions because the students were there. So they were helping. So she had plenty of attention. She had plenty of follow up. And we then took a reading because with Cushing's, you know, ACTH levels, you need to keep an eye on them. So when she came to, there was 163 reading. We had her retested and they were both they were under 50. The first one was under 50 and then we said hold on a minute maybe there's a misdiagnosis here or an issue with the testing and we had another one six weeks later I think and it was under 50 again so that mare was completely clear of Cushing's and is still to this day and I spoke to the vet and said is there any other reason why does how does this happen that the, the you know the Cushing's is gone and she said, "Well, the only thing it could be is if the adrenal glands are starting to does not work and they're not producing the ACTA and that in which case the, the, the lifespan of the horse would be severely reduced and that horse is still alive two three years later so there's no way it's that you know now hey one one swallow does not make a summer so I it's not that I'm saying every horse for pushing try this and it'll work you know it is about and you mentioned that really beautifully and articulately before it is about a holistic approach. You know, there are times where I would say that horse needs bodywork, you know, don't come to me until, you know, you've done the bodywork. And there are times where I've asked my chiropractor, because we have we have a couple of vets here that work with us. Uh, one is a chiropractor and she's looked at a horse and she said, Carly, I can't do anything with this horse until the inflammation is down. So then we're offering devil's claw, we're St. John's Wort. we're also offering yarrow, German Karma, all the known anti-inflammatories until that horse is actually in a place where the chiropractor can actually work. Um, There's no one shoe fits all, absolutely not, yeah.
2: I love that thought because we're really big on facilitating their healing, not thinking to yourself that you're going to fix them that you're actually facilitating a change for them. So as you speak about a lot of these herbs and substances, is there different qualities of these things that you're looking for? How do you go? Not that, you know, we're going to teach somebody about this on the podcast, but just so people realize how do you go through or how do you source some of the things that you use? Are there some red flags for people to look for?
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. Good point. Again, uh, aromatherapy oils are not suitable. Aromatherapy, yeah, absolutely not. They're adulterated. They are just suitable for your burners and that's fine. We use specific ones for the job and they're specific chemo type, t- So that means that they've got certain secondary metabolites in them that are correct for the work that we're doing. You know, and people are marketing essential oils all the time. It could be, They call them pure. They call them therapeutic. Just remember that's marketing. And it's really important to get oils and extracts that are suitable for zoo pharmacognosy. And I'm afraid I don't. I don't think there's anyone in Canada. There's about three shops in the world. Uh, Caroline Ingraham in the UK has a shop. There's our shop in Ireland, and I think there's a one other person in the UK. That's what I know. Hey, listen. If you know of anybody, if anybody out there knows of anybody, please let me know because the quality has to be high. Why give a sick animal? anything that's got to work harder to get rid of. You know, it just totally defeats the purpose. You know, you're there to help the animal. And I love what you're talking about empowering the animal. And that's what I was alluding to a bit earlier about there's such a huge education around this. There's such a huge shift. People have to let go of control and let the animal lead and trust the animal. That is huge up until now we administer we tell them what to do we tell them where to go we tell them you know put a head collar on them a bridal tack you know we are their matriarch mayor if you like and and you're you know you're, you're giving them all of a sudden you're saying okay how can i serve you how can i help you you show me what you need that is hugely powerful for a horse that has so little say in their own life you know so it not only does it empower the person but it empowers the horse so the the person is empowered to know of a new method to re to, to re-empower to give the power back to the horse and that's wonderful that's what i get excited about now i mentioned that at a workshop the other day and they said well what about wormers? what do you do if you're worming you know and but that is in different context that we worm if this has fi- a high fecal egg count but when it's in a zoo pharmacognosy, she leads the way and she becomes more empowered. And 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 for human beings to take a back seat and let go of control, it doesn't suit everybody. That's the major shift. And, and a lot of people are open to that. More and more people are becoming more and more open to that. And that is absolutely fantastic.
2: So some people would maybe be a bit familiar with like applied kinesiology, like muscle testing to decide mm. on the herbs. Can you mm. give us a little bit of a difference between the horse choosing and the person doing some applied kinesiology to, so- okay. to decide? If okay, okay. Is going to- yeah,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with applied kinesiology. The difference is that you're going on behavioral cues for the horse. So there are various different ways to see that the horse is interested or selecting an oil. So they might go from nostril to nostril. Their nostrils might flare. They might move their head away from the oil and just hold it at a certain distance because they're creating the correct potency. They're creating a distance, which means they get it at a certain potency. And if you've not had the training, you might think, oh, the horse has moved away. It's not interested. Not necessarily the case could just be, creating the correct distance because these are very volatile oils and that they evaporate quite some of the oils do. And again, there are different types of oils within the oils, you know, within the oil category, you've got CO2s, you've got absolutes. So the horse will, will show you by the body language and some is more obvious than others. Some is more subtle. And then the horse has to have enough time as they need to actually process that particular extract topical applications are absolutely fascinating when a horse actually presents part of its body to you uh, well obviously through ingestion that's quite simple they'll either eat it or they won't inhalation as they say you watch the nostrils and when they're processing if they start to process and work mentally with an oil you can see the eyes change you can see the body demeanor you know maybe change You can see the breathing, you watch the breathing to see does it get faster, does it get slower, does it get deeper, is it more abdominal. You can see the the whiskers, the bottom lip, the, the chin starts to quiver quite often, sometimes you'll see that. So there are many different ways, so we watch the body, we watch it in its entirety. So does the animal remove itself and go back into the stable? And every horse has its MO. So there's a modem operandum, modus operandum. Every horse is different. Its MO is different. And sometimes each session you can have a different MO. So that really does keep you on your toes. And when you talked about recipes, it's yes, sometimes you can go into the stable with a fixed mind say, okay, this horse has diarrhea, it's gonna take marshmallow root, slippery ale, uh, uh, frankincense, and then you find it wants nothing of that. And then, okay, so it wants, wants to work with an emotional issue first before it even goes near the diarrhea. You know, so that's the beauty of this. You really, when the horse leads, it's so effective. And, and, you know, you do literally have to put aside what you feel. You start off with a game plan. Surely you do. But you've got to, you've got to change tack wherever needed. So there's so many different things. And you just watch the minute details and also uh, the whole of the body. And then you re-offer accordingly. Another really good thing about this is you can nip stuff in the bud. If you go out to the yard and you think, hmm, that horse just doesn't look right to me you know, and we all, if you're in tune with the horse quite often, you know, you can get that feeling, ah, there's something just not right. So you get out of your kit and the horse might go for antibacterials, might go for anti-inflammatories, might go for emotional, might go for antivirals, you know, and you're getting ahead of the posse. So before it actually manifests physically, your horse is going to select.
2: Well, and I think that's really fascinating because you could then look at a horse that, you know, is maybe like you say, is not, not that they're ill or not that they're lame, but they're just not quite there. And I think all of us have been to the barn where we've seen a horse like that, where we're just, they're just not quite where we want mm. them to be. What would just give us three or four of your top assessment techniques? Like if, if people were looking, cause I can really tell as you speak that you're an excellent observer of horses and that you've really honed that craft can you give us just a a few things where you are looking at the horse and um, some of the assessment techniques you would would use to bring in some information about that animal
0: okay well you've raised a a key point about zoo pharmacognosy is that we do not diagnose Okay, so so that's the legal side of things. We do not diagnose because we're not veterinarians. Okay. So we offer according to presenting symptoms. The biggest tool you will ever have in your toolkit, as far as this goes, is being present, is being totally present and not looking on your mobile phone, not saying, Oh, I'm just gonna put the kettle on, or not you know, start thinking, oh, what's for dinner tonight? Being present. And, and you just sort of tune in. And you just really just be present for the horse and and it's and it is a sense of serving there is a sense of service servitude to it it's it's how can i help so really being present and and that eye for detail i have a sheet that i get somebody to write down and they'll observe and they'll write and say how many how many times the horses has selected angelica how many times and we'll put a tick by it we'll say unusual responses you know uh, and so, so we do keep a record of it um, as regards to what what's been selected so we know obviously what to re-offer the next day and the amount the amount that they take in that particular session
1: i think one of the things that's become very apparent through this conversation is how in-depth this whole field of study really is. Uh, And as you mentioned, fairly, fairly new as well. So you had mentioned prior to our conversation, that you have a special course coming up for those of us here in North America. Also, let us know how people can get a hold of you if they're interested in finding out more about you.
0: We have indeed uh, one for the US and Canadian time zones. And that's uh, 22nd and 23rd of May, with a follow up with a support week following that, the final date on the 30th. So it's a three day workshop. So, so whilst it starts four o'clock here, it's I think it's about nine or ten o'clock in the morning, your time. Um, Facebook, Whitethorn Equine House. We have a website, of course, Whitethorn We're on Instagram, Whitethorn Equine House, and um, Whitethorn Equine House at gmail.com. So uh, yeah, white thorn is really (laughs) the key word there. And our shop is white thorn herbals. We do, I was just checking it out. We can ship to Canada. So that's not an issue as regards to uh, herbs and extracts.
1: We'll be sure and link to all of those in our show notes as well. So people can have those for reference. But I can't thank you enough for joining us today and introducing everybody to this Listen Kim
0: that is just absolutely fantastic. It's been my total pleasure. I as you know as you can tell I find it difficult not to talk about it. Um <laughs> I find it fascinating and it's just brilliant and it's just really uh, great to share the word and hopefully enlighten people and 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 you know show them that there are other ways to work with horses that can help um you know as part of the whole big picture in helping thank you Kim thank you Tina I really appreciate you having me on it's been absolutely lovely and wonderful thank you so much
1: thanks again you take care it's obvious that Carly not only has a passion for working with horses but also around this field of applied zoo pharmacognosy what's inspiring to me as we chatted was just how much she has applied herself to studying it and the horses she works with It was very clear throughout that while this is a field of study that at its core seems very simple, there is a lot of training to be had to understand when, how, and what to present to the horse, as well as being able to read the horses to know what they are requiring and for how long. I respect the amount of dedication she has given to her profession and how powerful this modality can be. As Carly stated, these are not just dried herbs or oils you have in your house to work with but powerful, potent substances that require a lot of training to understand and which can be tested in some instances within sport. And it is critical to work within your scope always and with other professional bodies, most specifically veterinarians, to gain insight into what is happening in the horse prior to starting your sessions. This is not a substitute for veterinary medicine, but rather an adjunct to work with your veterinarian to be able to find the best course of action for the individual horse. If this is something you are interested in learning more about, you can contact Carly through the avenues she described and which we'll have links to in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode. We appreciate each rating and review you can give to help grow this podcast. You can find us on instagram and facebook under equine body talks or connect with us by email at equinebodytalks at gmail.com to learn more about courses by in hand equine therapy please follow them on instagram and facebook as well and their online course platform at inhandequinetherapy.podia.com remember to always be an advocate for your horse and not be afraid to open the conversation around your horse's wellness team.